Thank you, Leslie. In the book of Revelation, the end of our Bible, the Apostle John has this crazy vision. This vision in which an angel comes to him and gives him a scroll, the word of God, and he invites John to eat it. And it's such an interesting visual. As I, I, as I think about that passage and that vision, uh, I think of my children when they were babies because they would have those little board books and they wouldn't try to read it. They would try to eat it, right? And they'd gnaw on the corners and the edge. We have many very loved children's books that still have slobber and gnaw marks on the edge of the book. And, but that's the image that I want you to keep in your head throughout this morning and throughout this series as we look at adjusting the volume, hearing God when life gets loud. Because I want you to consume the Word of God. You know, all of humanity yearns to hear from God, to know the voice of God, and to grow in relationship with God. How can we, in the midst of our crazy and busy lives, adjust the volume so that we can hear, so that we can hear the voice of God? Because it takes practice to hear and understand the voice of God. Like any relationship, it takes work. But it is also a gift. To be in relationship with God is a true gift. And it is an incredible gift. Just think about it. The God of the universe desires to be in relationship with you. The God of the universe desires to dwell with you. I think that's amazing. So how do we tune our lives so that we can hear God. That's what we're looking at. Adjusting the volume of our lives so we don't miss out on all the cool things that God wants for us, that God wants to share with us and for us so that we don't miss out on the, the promises and the callings and the guidance through difficult times that, that God wants for us. And even at times, unfortunately, the discipline that God wants for us, the, the things that he wants us to turn from. How do we do that? This is what our prayer is for this series is that we learn better how to hear the voice of God. So let's pray. Dear God, even now, come Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear you. Open us to the possibilities of a new and deeper relationship with you. And may it begin even now, in this very moment. Give us the desire and the discipline to seek you out. Amen. So I want us to begin with this word, the Bible, this morning. I want us to eat this word, to make it a part of our very lives, to, to make it a part of our very being. We have gotten away, I think, from this book, and we need to rediscover it anew, whether you're a new Christian or an old-timer. It doesn't matter because the Bible plays such a vital role in our life as followers of Christ. And it plays a vital role in speaking to us and for us to be able to hear the voice of God. This book is the story of God 
and the story of our relationship with God. It is primary. As Methodists, in fact, we have in our foundational documents, in our confession of faith, in our articles of religion. How many of you knew we had a confession of faith in articles of religion? A couple of you. Good Methodist. Now you all know we have a confession of faith and we have an articles of religion. In these foundational documents, one of our articles, it speaks about the Bible. It says this in Article 5 of our confession of faith. It says this, we believe the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, reveals the word of God so far as it is necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed in or established by the Holy Scriptures is not to be made an article of our faith, nor is it to be taught as an essential to salvation. So we have, even as Methodists, this foundational idea that the Bible is, is primary, that it is necessary, that it speaks to us about salvation. Even John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, one of his famous quotes is that he was a man of one book, the Bible. Now, Wesley for sure read hundreds and hundreds of books, but the Bible for him was primary. It was his foundation, and it should be our foundation as well. Even way back in the book of Genesis, remember God spoke and creation came into existence. And God still speaks today. And his primary way of speaking is through this. This is God's primary way of speaking today. Now, as Christians, though, we have not held the Bible in high enough regard for our spiritual life, for our walk with God. Now, most of us think that we do, but I submit that most of us put our personal experience before the Bible as the primary driver for our lives. And we just go to the Bible to affirm those beliefs we already have. And we have replaced the word with our word. And this is a dangerous practice for all of us. And the world for sure has certainly passed over the Bible as any type of authority. It's good literature, but that's it. And we miss the voice of God. Now, hear me. God can still speak outside of this. And he does all the time. But he primarily chooses to speak to us in this book. I hope you heard that. God primarily chooses to speak to his people through these words. So if you're not hearing the voice of God, I would invite you to begin reading the book. I want us to eat this word, to take it inside of us, uh, to make it a part of who we are. Just like the Apostle John in the book of Revelation I want us to have that image. But you know, that's not the only place that this image is used. In the Old Testament, twice we have, uh, both in the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel also, the great prophet of God, is invited and commanded to eat the book as well. He was commanded to eat it and then go and speak it. Also, one of Ezekiel's uh, contemporaries, the great prophet Jeremiah as well, he also ate the word. We read this in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Your words are the joy and the delight of my heart. 
Why this image of consuming the word? Because like the apostle John and the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah, we live in a time that isn't consuming the word of God, but rather consuming every other fad diet of spirituality and way of life that keeps us from actually seeing who God really is. It is my hope that these words become the the joy and the delight of our hearts. But more than that, God desires that these become the joy and delight of your heart. But it takes work and it takes some discipline. Every relationship, though, takes work and discipline. And we're going to have to unlearn some things as we approach the Bible before we can relearn how to read. First, and this is important, we have to approach the Bible with the right attitude. Too often we approach the text with our own agenda. We are all guilty. Pastors are especially guilty. We approach the world word with a sermon idea, and then I'm going to go figure out what confirms what I already believe for my sermon idea. We do that all the time. And, and we approach it with our own agendas, and, and we'll read something and say to ourselves, that doesn't apply to me, so I'll just skip it. I'll go to something else. Because it doesn't speak to us immediately, we too often dismiss it. Our desire is for instant gratification. And if it's not met, we we lay it aside. We wrongly become, as Robert Mulholland calls, the masters of the material we read. We want to be the masters of the material we read because that's, that's how we're taught, is to master the text. If we approach the Bible as the masters of the text, then it probably won't ever master us. We approach it with our agenda. Or as Eugene Peterson says, we replace the holy word with our very individualistic word, with the very individualized personal trinity of my holy wants, my holy needs, and my holy feelings. It's all about me or we cherry pick the verses we like and we take them out of their original context now we do that all the time let me give you an example again from jeremiah jeremiah 29 11, great verse for surely i know the plans i have for you says the lord plans for your welfare welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope I love this verse. It is a great verse. We actually have this verse in our kitchen on a plaque. It stands right there in our dining hall, right there on the wall. I know the plans I have for you. It's a great verse. But most Western Christians approach this verse with a detached view of Scripture. It's a nice, pithy statement. It's a nice Facebook post. It's a nice Twitter feed. But it doesn't have any real meat to it without the context. We read it and we get some type of prosperity gospel idea of who God is. God is going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, he might, but this verse doesn't say that. Not at all. 
in the context of, let me give you the context of this verse from Jeremiah 29, 11. The people of God are slaves in Babylon. And he's telling the people that they're going to stay as exiles and slaves in Babylon. There's your future with hope. Your existence is to be slavery. That they'll be staying as slaves and God tells them, get this, you'll love this. God tells them to pray for the welfare of the people who have taken them into captivity. Yes, I love that. Let's put that on my wall. Man. So God is in a sense giving them hope in the midst of a miserable existence. But he isn't going to take them out of the context of their existence. And further, right after this verse, it gives the stipulations for this hope and this future. It says this, If you seek me with all of your heart, then I will give you hope and a future. But the implication is, If you don't seek me with all of your heart, then you have no hope and no future. God is not some type of magic gumball dispenser. And this is not what this text says. We just prefer the pithy statement on the wall. I know I do. I don't like the context of this verse. But hearing from God takes work. But the context of the verse actually gives you hope and a future in the midst of pain and misery. In the midst of those days that are difficult. All good relationships take work. So we have to approach the text correctly. Another change in attitude that we have to to make is how we read the text. We tend to come to the text for information, not formation. We all have become consumers of information. We need to unlearn this habit and begin to approach the scriptures from a sense of formation. Again, as I said, we we try to master the text, but letting the word read me and transform me. But let's dwell a moment on this idea of formation. Even the apostle John, in his vision and revelation, when he had this vision and he was told to eat the word, what does the text say right after that? Any of you know it says, it says that it was sweet as honey when he ate it. But when it went into his stomach, it soured his stomach. That's the way the Bible is often. There are words in there that are sweet as honey. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is sweet, isn't it? But there's also texts in there that sour our stomach. When it convicts us of sin and wrongdoing. When it challenges our sense of justice and our sense of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And that's the way the book is. It has power to transform us and it should sour our stomach at times. It should turn our stomach to injustice, to the ways we're living that don't conform to his ways, to the wrongs we do, the attitudes we have. That's the power of scripture to transform our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. It can bring us into the very throne room of God if we place ourselves under its authority 
and not our own. We need to eat this word because this word can set us free. It can change our perspectives on life and give us a future with hope, but we're going to have to learn how to adjust the volume so we can, we can hear, so we can understand. We call this God's word, and in a sense it is, but, but truly the word of God is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And the Gospel of John even reminds us of this. In the very beginning of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt with us. It is Jesus and the Spirit of God that make this Word the Word of God. So we need to keep that in mind as well as we approach the Bible. Without the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus guiding us, these are just words on a page. And they mean nothing without the word of God making this word alive and active. As Kim said earlier, it takes the spirit to make it alive. We have the word become flesh, Jesus, who desires to be involved in our lives, who desires to transform our lives. And it takes that spirit as we read this text. So we come to our text from Hebrews and it says this, indeed, the word of God is living and active. It is. Jesus is living and active in our lives, seeking to draw us into a deeper relationship with him through this word. And then it goes on to say, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This metaphor that the writer of Hebrews is writing, is using, is about dividing soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is saying that the word of God, Jesus, cuts to the very core of what we are, of who we are. And then it says this, And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Before Jesus, no one is hidden. It's an intimate portrait of Jesus with us. We are naked before him. That's a scary image, isn't it? This isn't an optional presence of God in our lives. He is there. He sees who we are. And he still likes us for the most part. What I'm trying to help us understand is that our Bibles are lifeless if we approach it without the true word of God, Christ, to enliven what we read. However, if we approach the word with hearts that are open to him, seeking to be known by God, then sooner or later We will find God and we will hear from him. But we have to adjust the volume. As I said before, the Bible is the primary place of God speaking to us. It is the story of God's redemption through the word of God, Jesus. It gives us the insights into the ways in which God penetrates joint and bone and marrow. It is the true revelation of the word of God, Jesus. And because of that, it is inspired. It is inspired in its writing And if we check this out, and if we approach it correctly, it can be inspired in its reading and hearing as well. I wish I could say more this morning, but we don't have time. So I pray that the Spirit would inspire you even more. So now to the practical, the actual reading of this book. Let me give you some ideas. One, you actually have to take time to read. It seems simple enough, 
Some of you might actually need to put it in your calendar. Schedule it. You have to adjust the volume to hear God. And, and here's what I encourage you to do. Quiet yourself. Find a good place where you can read. Uh, probably, If you're like me, probably not your lazy boy. Why? I will go to sleep. But find a good, comfortable chair. You can put your feet on the ground. And you need to schedule a good time to read. Mornings is probably best for most of you. How many of you are right-handed? How many left-handed? See, there's a couple left-handers in here, right? For most people, mornings is best. For others, late night is best. It's not one certain time, but you have to know who you are, and you should give God your what? Best time. Because if I read this late at night, it would never get read. Because I know I won't do it. You have to schedule that time when you know you'll get it done. So quiet yourself, take some time, and read. Number two, if you've never attempted reading through the Bible, I encourage you to start in the New Testament. Uh, start with the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It doesn't matter. And go from there. This is a lifetime of learning. So don't just stop there. That's too often what we like to do. We just like to stop with our favorite books. Oh, I like those, so I'm going to read those. Let me remind you again of something. When has God chosen to speak to me and transform my life. Was it in John's gospel? No. It was in the book of Numbers. It was in the book of Deuteronomy. My two mile markers in my life. Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and that's the thing I want you to understand. Don't just stick with what you like. Read. Did I like Numbers, by the way? No. Still not a huge fan of it. Except that I was called to ministry in it. God speaks throughout his word. And we have to be intentional. So once you begin uh, practicing, then you can go back and read the other half, the Old Testament as well. And you might need some Bible guide, some type of guide to help you. Uh, third, a habit I've had for, for years is to read through the whole Bible. And this is uh, what I've done. I start in Genesis. Typically, not all the time, but typically when I start, I get a new Bible and, and just start over. Genesis to Revelation. And, and that's, again, when God chooses to speak to me in those random places that I'm not the master of, but I'm just being intentional. Sometimes it takes me three years to read through the whole Bible because I go slowly. I'm not in a rush. I'm letting it try to master me as well. And so that might be something for you to do as well. We have the Bible reading plan out in the fore. You can grab one of, one of those as well. The fourth way, and you have a bookmark in your bulletin. And it gives another way to read scripture. It's a Lectio Divina. Divina. It's a way to read the Bible in which, again, you're not the master. And it's a way for you. It balances silence and the word. It is a slower, reflective way of reading scripture. So I encourage you to pull that out. So this might be something is your next step, is maybe to read a, a passage or a book of scripture this way. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a plan right now, uh, read through the book of Hebrews during this month, the rest of April, and use this method as you read through Hebrews. Step one, you find, well, before step one, get out your Bible, get ready, get in the right place, and you read. You, you listen, you pay attention, you pray. And then step two is you reflect. 
You reflect on what you just read and, and you chew on it and you think about what phrases or words stood out to you. Step three, you respond. You read the passage again and pray asking God how he wants you to, uh, to be revealed through you. And then you're silent and you reflect on it. Listen for any thought or action that comes to mind. Step four, rest. Read the passage a final time and just rest in it. Take the time to quietly enjoy that you have a relationship with God. And that he wants to speak to you and that he loves you. And then the last step is resolve. That after you've done this several time reading, you're not reading a big chunk, you're reading smaller passages. After you've done that, take that phrase or sentence or that part that stood out to you and resolve to live it that day. Listen, pray over, rest in it throughout the day. So those are different next steps for you. What's your next step? I don't know. It's up to you. I pray, though, that the Spirit of God would guide you. Let's pray. Thank you again, O oh God, for this, your word, that is enlivened by Jesus, the true word. May we come to your book to consume it, to make it who we are. May we adjust the volumes of our lives so that we can truly hear. Holy Spirit, I do pray that any step that anyone takes this week... Would you be graceful, O oh God? And would you show them your love? Would you walk with them? Would you change attitudes? Would you form them in you? I pray in your holy name. Amen.